chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, and um, we're going to jump in at verse number 14, Ephesians 3 and 14, amen, amen. For this reason, let me put that up on the screen for us, amen. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at me for a moment. Look at me for a moment. The reason that he's talking about is the fellowship of the mystery and the manifold wisdom of God, the plan of God that's being unfolded by the church. And Paul has devoted the... uh, the first parts of the book of Ephesians, really diving into that and, and expounding upon that. And so when he talks about his response to this, he says that he bows his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Now, again, look at me. Let, me. let me just kind of talk to you about what he's saying here. The more Paul understood exactly what it is that God is up to. When I say God, I, I, most of the time you'll hear me refer to Him as Father God. So no, in this context, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This this plan, this this, uh, eternal, elaborate, audacious plan, the Bible says, began in the heart of God and has been hidden in Him until it began to be unfolded when He created the heavens and the earth. So when when I say God... I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as the Godhead, as the Trinity. And the more Paul began to understand the magnitude, the scope, I mean, he just got through talking about, um, you know, everybody being born of the same seed, coming into the body of Christ, that Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, and the body is the fullness of Jesus through which Jesus is now filling all things. I mean, this is, these are some heavy things central to the heart of God, the plan of God, the purposes of God for your life and for mine. And so Paul's response as he understood all of this was to literally fall on his knees before God to fall on his knees and bow to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because from him the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And notice he's praying that Father would grant you, another time out here, okay? You means you individually, but it also and even more so means you all, y'all that Father would grant to the body, that He would grant 
to usans tonight, to weans tonight, to all of us, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Now, it's pretty clear, but let me make sure you see it, okay? The reason this was the Apostle Paul's response to this grace and this revealing and this, you know, unveiling of this, um, you know, grand plan was that he, he knew if we were ever going to renew our minds to this and conform our lives to this, it was going to require some inward strength that would only come from God. When we began this portion of our study three weeks ago, I kept saying again and again, you've got to get this. You, you've got to get this. And I would hear myself say it again, and I'm like, why do I keep saying that? They've already heard me say that. And then I would like get choked up, almost emotional, and I would say, you've got to get this, right? I think Paul, even in perhaps a greater way, experienced that, that same urgency. And so this is why his response was to get on his knees before Father God and pray that God would give to us the inward wherewithal to hear, receive, respond to, and walk out this message. Okay? Now, I'm not backing down from you got to get this. But we need to add to that. You can't get this without him helping you. You... you Casual folks won't ever get this. Casual Christians will never see this. People that give God a few hours of their time on Sunday won't, won't even scratch the surface of this. Okay? So this was Paul's response to cry out to God that He would strengthen us inwardly by His Spirit. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's not talking about being born again. The literal language here is used to communicate that of, let's say you lived by yourself for a long time and then all of a sudden somebody moved in with you. And it, there would be an adjustment period where they would have to um, you know, get settled in and you would have to adjust to the new way of life. You would have to accommodate this new reality of someone now living under your roof with you. This is what he's talking about. In other words, Jesus moved in the day you were born again. But there's still a whole lot of folks who aren't settled with him living inside of them. They, they still haven't quite adjusted their life to this new reality. So when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he's not talking about being saved. He's talking about him becoming settled in you and you becoming settled in and with Him living inside of you. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height 
to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, please listen to me. This is so extremely important. Do you see why his response was to pray that God would grant us the ability, the inward wherewithal, to receive this truth, renew our minds, and conform our lives to it? Because he's talking about us getting something that goes beyond the ability of human comprehension. He's talking about something bigger here than you have the capacity to understand and receive with the human intellect. He's talking about something that can only be received or understood by faith through your inward man, amen, and you come to the understanding or the realization of it in that way. Remember, Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, in that moment, God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, gave Peter the ability inwardly to see and recognize who Jesus really was. He did not come to that conclusion through Google. He did not come to that conclusion through, you know, a high IQ or, or because he really rationalized it and, and processed it. No, he came to that conclusion because God gave him the inward ability to, to take that ball and run with it. Now, this is both the beauty and the challenge of these messages. That's why I've been encouraging you and, and asking you as the servant leader of, of this family of faith, to, to get hard copies of this if you don't have the ability to listen to it through the internet and, and, and podcasts and, and things of that nature. It's, it's because our effort towards this word makes all the difference in the world when it comes to our ability to receive this word. If your attitude towards it is, okay, whatever, just another message, then your ability to really lay hold of it is, in other words, he said it this way, when you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. So when, when we put our effort, extra effort, towards something that's really important in God's word, this is when he comes alongside. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 13. It's been given to you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. To others, that understanding has not yet been given. Now, it wasn't because Jesus was withholding it from them. It was because they did not have a ready heart to receive the ability to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. So the disciples, we, we've mentioned this a couple of times. I want to mention it again. When Jesus preached a sermon that offended a lot of people and a lot of people left Jesus, the disciples were right there later that day and Jesus asked them if they were leaving also. And, 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 and Peter, once again, he says, where else will we go? You have the words of life. But here's the, here's the unique thing. They didn't understand the sermon either. But they, but they didn't leave. Notice the attitude there. The attitude was, we have no idea what you were talking about, Jesus, but we know you're right, and we know that we need to understand it. And, and their attitude was, we're not turning loose of you until, until you explain it to us. And so when we respond to God speaking to us with that same kind of attitude, that's when we, we have a ready heart for the Holy Spirit then to reveal some, some stuff to us. I, some of you know this brother. I'm not going to mention his name. 
He's, he's a quiet brother. I mean, he, in other words, he's, he's a wise brother. He loves Jesus, walks with Jesus. But he doesn't have a lot to say. And a lot of us are, are, are like that. Um, but he came up to me this morning with tears in his eyes. And he said, Pastor Mark, he said, I just want you to know that these, these messages on the fellowship of the mystery, he said, they have, they, he was trying to find words. And I understand because I've tried to find the same words myself. He said, he said they've changed something inside of me. They've changed something inside of me. Something's different now. And again, this brother is one who has a ready heart to receive. He's hungry for the things of God. And now the Holy Spirit is giving him the ability. I'm, I love what I do. Please don't misunderstand me. I love what I do. And preaching is fun for me. Preparing to preach is like one of the great joys of my life. Um, I, I love to do it, but... These messages, I have not 28 pages of notes. I have 28 pages of slides. We've looked at three tonight. Are you, I mean, I'm just telling you. And it's, it's, like, it's like there has been like just this, you know, Jed Clampett, you know, what was he shooting at when he hit the up from the ground came a bubble and crude. It's like... It's like spring up oh well. It's it's I'm I'm happy about it. I could not cut my grass yesterday for the Lord talking to me about this. And I gotta get a new battery for my riding lawnmower. So I would find I would just leave the thing running and, and put it in park and get off of it and, and go sit on the porch and write notes and dictate notes and I'd get back on them all a little while and I would go, wow, and I so again I'm just Amen. It's the Holy Spirit. And, and I, can, I can take the very best effort I have to present this to you. And I'm trying, man. God knows my heart. I'm trying so hard, okay? But if it's only me trying, then none of us, myself included, are going to get it, right? But if we'll get on our knees before God and say, man, there's something here that I need to know. There's something here that's very important to you and has got a whole lot to do with my, not just existence, but destiny. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused by it still, God. And, and so would you please give me the inward strength and the ability of the Holy Spirit to lay hold of these things, to comprehend what goes beyond human comprehension. I think we'll get there tonight, but if we don't, let me just go ahead and tell you, we mentioned a little bit this morning, the depth of this is offensive to the average Christian. I'm just going to tell you. People who are, you know, religiously minded, who embrace religious traditions, they're going to get really mad about this message. It offends them. They do everything they can to try to disprove it, discredit it. Amen, I'm just, I'm just telling you that, okay? Um, it's because, again, if we're, if we're trying to understand it by rationalizing, then we won't even get close to this. Instead, our efforts to rationalize it will carry us further away from it. Because we'll say, well, there's no way that can be right. There's no way that can be true. When it is absolutely true, 
and one of the nearest and dearest truths to our Father's heart. Now, I want to point out something to you here. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We've made similar statements a few times already, but remember, your Heavenly Father and Creator is actively trying right now to love you into loving Him. He's not going to make you love Him. He's not going to force you to love Him. He's, he's, he's loving you. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that will cause a man to repent. So He's been very good to all of us. We, I think, all have stories in our lives when we look back. When we were, we were just a, a cat's whisker from death and, and God delivered us. Bryce Hankins was sharing a story after Brother David last Monday night at the foundry shared, shared a testimony. I don't think Bryce would remind me, but he said a guy put a, put a gun right between his eyes and pulled the trigger and the gun, gun jammed. I mean, he's not here. I'm going to be talking about him. Another time a guy shot him, well, shot five times, hit him six times. First time hit him in the leg, knocked him down and emptied the gun into him. And he was here this morning, by the way, if you don't know Bryce, he's alive, okay. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you that, that the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, he's trying to love you into loving him. Not trying to make you. He's God. He could turn the oxygen off right now. But that's not who he is, but he could. He could just, you know, with, withdraw his word that created the firmament. A thin layer of breathable air close to the surface of this planet. And we would all be gone in a matter of minutes. It's not who he is. He's trying to love you into loving him. But see, the devil's trying to trick you into loving yourself and not God. Trying to trick you into putting yourself first instead of God first. See, it's not, we've all done that. And none of us like where it took us. None of us like how it made us feel. None of us like the quality of life it produced for us. It's because it's not who you are. It's not, how you, it's not what you were created for. It's not, you were not designed to be the, the God of your own life. You were not designed to worship yourself. You were not designed to love yourself. So notice he says that it's impossible to comprehend the full dimension. Notice here he's talking about the width and the length and the depth and the height. Length, width, depth, height, all the dimensions, right? I didn't do my hands right, but you got it. That you would understand the full dimension, the full capacity, the full measure of his love for you. Because the more you understand his love for you, the more you have the capacity to love him in return. But notice, this is the pathway 
to you being filled with all if it just said one one hundredth of the fullness of God that would be cause enough for us to run six laps around this building hollering in tongues okay he didn't say that you might receive one one hundredth of the fullness of God that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, I've quoted these verses, preached from these verses, known about these verses for years and years and years and years, and I stand before you tonight as honest as I can be with you, okay? I still have no idea yet of what that really means, but I got more of it tonight than I ever have. God created you to be filled with all of His fullness. Sin caused us to fall short of that, but Jesus came and took care of our sin problem. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So that now, through our growing in love from Him and love for Him, We're growing in and being filled with more and more of His fullness. Now, we didn't look at the verse. I'm not going to go back to the slide, but let me read if I could. It's just a couple of chapters back. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. Are you still with me tonight? Sweet Jesus. Verse 22, Ephesians 1 and 22. And he, God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church. The church which is his body, the fullness of him, the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Jesus, who fills all in all. Are you seeing two things work together here? In other words, we're the fullness of him. And yet, he is wanting to feel all in all through you and me. Obviously, we're not going to do it because we'd make a mess in the floor, okay? But this, ga- this, this glass of water has limited capacity. In other words, at some point, it would become so full that it could not contain any more, and then it would begin to spill over. Now, if we couldn't stop it and this water was precious, we would grab another vessel to try to catch the overflow. So that what is in one fills up the next to overflowing and then fills up the next and fills up the next. So we know that Jesus is filled with all the fullness of God. The Bible says that He contains all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Again, these these verses stretch us so far that it's like, well, you just lost me, Pastor Mark. No, 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 no. See, listen, I didn't lose you. I lost your intellect. I lost your mental capacity in your brain to lay hold of these things, but not your spiritual capacity to lay hold of them, to understand them by faith. You say, well, how do I do that? Just say, I don't know what he's saying, but he's talking about me. I don't understand it all, but Father, if it's from you, I want it. 
I've seen a lot of folks get baptized in the Holy Spirit by just simply saying, I'm not sure about this, but if it's from you, I want everything you have from me. Simple prayer, honest prayer, and God hears it. So he introduced this concept of the fullness of him in verse 23, who feels all in all. Now we see in verse 19 of chapter 3 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's go on to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. To him be glory in the church which is his body by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. One more time, to Him be glory in the church. He's talking about His glory in you. Now, let me, let me try to connect a couple of things here and then we'll wind this down, okay? Are you good? I love teaching these things, but... They're different from a lot of the, the other things that we teach. Different, different in the sense that, man, we, we, we're reaching other levels of truth here. There's a lot more to come on this, but I want to just, if I could, just touch on it for a moment and then one final thing tonight. The glory of God... This word glory, do you see it there in verse 21? This word glory is, in the Greek, the doxa of God. D-O-X-A, the doxa of God. Are you with me now? This is important. Let's, let's go there together. The doxa of God. Now, obviously there, there is a, a lot to that word. It's a very important word. But to simplify it, the doxa of God is this. All that God is and all that He has. All that God is and all that God has. The doxa of God. So when the Bible uses the phraseology that you would be filled with all the fullness of God, he's talking about you being filled with all that God is and all that God has. And so this is why Paul ended this prayer in the way that he did. And to me, it's some of the most poetic verses in all of the book of Ephesians. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. What he's saying there is, what we're talking about, again, goes beyond the ability for the meat computer in your skull 
to comprehend. I think we said it this morning. If, if you think you've, through logic and, and rationalization, have come to the understanding of this, just keep digging because you have not. Because you cannot. He's saying if this sounds extreme or if this sounds far-fetched or if this sounds bizarre, remember, this is something that the, the angels long to look into and understand. It's such an audacious plan that it literally left angelic hosts and men on the earth scratching their head asking God, what were you thinking by such a bold and risky move? So do you see now why Paul is saying, look, if this seems far-fetched, if this seems impossible, if this seems like there's no way it can be true, remember, we're talking about God here. And He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And I'm telling you what we're talking about now is exceedingly and abundantly above all that the religious mind can conceive. Now then, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2. It says, enlarge the places of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. That same passage from the message translation, clear lots of ground for your tents, make your tents large, spread out, think big, use plenty of rope, drive the tent pegs deep. This passage is, is a word that the prophet gave to the nation of Israel basically saying God wants to increase you but He's waiting on you to make room in your life for what He wants to do for you, in you, and through you. I think most people in this room know that Jake and Bethany are expecting grandson. And um, yeah, thank God for that. And so now that the baby's on the way, it's time to start getting the nursery ready. What God is really saying here is, long before you're pregnant, go ahead and get the nursery ready. Get the nursery ready believing that your family's going to grow. Get, in other words, make the preparations in faith. Back to that attitude. Jesus, we have no idea what that sermon meant today, but we know that we need to know, and we're not turning loose of you until we understand it. Do you see the attitude? Do you see the response there? So, he's saying that we've got to make room for this in our lives. We, we've got to make room for him in our lives he's wanting to do something different he's wanting to do something more he's he's wanting to increase you and expand you and grow you but you've got to respond first by enlarging your tent and lengthening your cords and deepening your stakes in other words a little small tent doesn't require a whole lot of effort to, to hold it down but the bigger that tent becomes the bigger the sail 
right? In other words, the ability for that thing to catch a wind and, and send it flying, right? We have to watch when we set the, the bouncy house, the jump house up, the moonwalk up here at the church. Because, you know, gusts of wind can send those things airborne. So he's not just saying to make the tent bigger, but he's saying make the cords longer and drive the stakes deeper. Can I give you the New Windsor International Translation? Brace yourself. God's fixing to rock your world. Remember, he gave Abraham a promise that staggered him. Abraham laughed at the promise of God. He thought it ridiculous. He thought it impossible. It staggered him, but the Bible says he kept holding on to that thing. He kept grabbing hold of it. He kept confessing it. He kept believing God. He kept honoring God, right? Until it became bigger and bigger and bigger inside of him. He went from laughing to hope, from hope to faith, and from faith to full persuasion that there's no way it can't happen. Changed his name to father of a multitude. God is saying, I want to do something so astounding in your life that it will not only change you, but it will change your entire family tree for generations to come. But you've got to make room for me. You've got to give me some more time with you, to work with you. You've got, to, you've got to show some more interest in the things that I'm trying to teach you. He's asking us to, to, to even uh, be willing to listen to things that religious tradition has previously had our minds closed to. The Bible says things like, be it unto you according to your faith. I'll talk more about this later, but the Lord has been speaking to me about some very strategic things we need to do and change here in preparation for 20 years of harvest that we've now entered into. But in conclusion tonight, I want us to take this principle and apply it to what we've been talking about this evening. Have you ever heard the expression a mental block? A mental block. The idea behind a mental block is, it's, is that for whatever reason, a person in their mind can't grasp a certain concept. For instance, there are some people in this room, mathematics come very easy for you. There are other folks in this room, it's like you have a mental block when it comes to the more complex forms of math. I'll never forget the first day of algebra when they had a letter in with my numbers. I'm like, what's this? Formulas and this kind of thing. I made decent grades, I had to work hard, I had a great teacher. But now geometry, I came out of my mama's womb looking for a 90 degree angle, buddy. I'm telling you now. See, geometry was my thing. I, I actually, I actually, because there were bonus questions and stuff, Sister Pam Sandretto, I actually had a higher than 100 average in geometry in high school. Okay, again, 
Other forms of math, there's like there's a mental block there. It's, it's like hard for me to see. Geometry, I could see it, man. All those theorems and all that stuff, man. Just, I loved it. It's just awesome, right? And obviously going into building cabinets and geometry and angles and complex trim work and all that stuff. I mean, it's, you know, I often say that's like the math that I used. Hello? Okay. Spent too much time on that. All right, but let me, let me just move along here. So in 2 Corinthians 10, the Bible talks about a mental block of a different kind. I'll put it up on the screen. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. A stronghold, again, this is a warfare scripture. In military terms, a stronghold is an area that has already been won. We use Iraq as an example. You know, we pulled down the giant statue of Saddam Hussein. We, you know, President Bush landed on the aircraft carrier in his jumpsuit and we declared victory in Iraq. Now, we'd seized Baghdad, we'd seized control of the government, but there were still lots of strongholds, still some to this day. It's pockets of resistance throughout that nation that were not ready to surrender themselves to the, to the changes that, that came. Are you following me? So the Word of God uses this term stronghold, and He's talking about areas in our minds where we have a mental block to the spiritual things that God is trying to lead us into. Are you seeing this? A mental block. Let me, let me give you an example. I'm trying to rush this, but I don't need to rush this. It's the enemy who's trying to resist and keep you from ever taking that step up into that next level. Now, what I have learned over many years, and please hear me, I know some of you can amen this as well. You've learned it too by experience. The more important the truth, the greater the resistance. The devil doesn't want you to know anything about God, but he's obviously lost that battle. But even if you know something about God, there are other things that He's going to fight you tooth and toenail, so to speak, to try to keep you from ever understanding. Let me, let me give you an example. One of the most maligned, resisted, ridiculed teachings and doctrines in all the Word of God is what the Bible says about prosperity. God's desire for you to prosper. Not limited to, but absolutely including His desire for you to prosper financially. Now for some folks, this is like fingernails on a chalkboard. 
There are people who are born again and on the way to heaven. This teaching makes them physically ill. There is such a, a, a resistance. There is such a mental block. There, there, there is... There is such, and then and you see the different debates and arguments and things that people say to try to resist this. Let me ask you something. Who wants the church broke? God or the devil? My friend, it costs money to do kingdom work. It costs money. For people to go all over this world and preach the gospel. I mean, we are so thankful for our partnership with Jerry, Marilyn, Odell. It costs tens of thousands of dollars to do what they do in Pakistan. Now, there may be 40 or 50,000 Muslims born again through all of that. Well worth the investment. It costs money, though. And he will tell you, if he was standing here tonight, Mark McClellan could quote him, if he was standing here tonight, Jerry O'Dell would tell you the one thing that has been the biggest challenge and fight for them all of these years in ministry, it's not the threats to their life, it's not people trying to poison them, it's not the, the, the dangerous travel and all these other things, it's been the money. He had a man come up to him one time and he said, he said, I'm very wealthy and I'm going to basically underwrite your whole budget. And Brother Jerry said, there's no way you can do that. He goes, oh, you don't know how much money I have. Jerry says, no, you, you don't understand. Whatever money you give me, I'm going to spend it. In other words, if the guy gave him 20000 then Jerry's going to go do two of those crusades. If the guy gave him 40000 he's going to go do four of them. If the guy gave him 100000 he's going to go ten, do ten of them. And there's however much money the man gives him, in other words, is what Brother Jerry was saying. Thank you, sir. And that man, of course, gave a lot of money to Odell Ministries over the years. But the bottom line of it was, you, the, the idea that you can just, here's a check, and you know, because whatever money you give him, you, you follow, it's cost money. The devil wants you broke. The devil wants you poor. God wants you blessed. He wants you wealthy. And I don't, I'm not, there's a purpose for the prosperity. The Bible clearly says he's giving you the ability to get wealth so that his covenant might be established in all the earth. There's a purpose for God wanting to prosper you. It's not so, you know, you can drive seven Cadillacs, although God doesn't mind if you have a nice car. doesn't mind if you live in a nice home. That's, amen. But again, the devil is the one who resists the truth concerning these things clearly in the Word of God. And there are a lot of folks who have a mental block because of it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This is, this is what he told me to tell you. He said, Father wants you to live a wealthy and generous life. Wealthy and generous. Now I'll finish here. Our oneness with God is the truth the devil fears the most and is therefore the one he fights the most. Hear me please on this. Our oneness with God. We said this morning, if we're going to sum up the fellowship of the mystery in one word, that one word would be oneness. 
God's eternal, elaborate, audacious plan to create a being comparable with and compatible to, comparable to, compatible with him, and then give that being the opportunity to love him and be one with him. That's the plan. Our oneness with God is the truth the devil fears the most and is therefore the one he fights the most. There are lots of mental blocks where this truth is concerned and no wonder because, are you ready for this? Once a child of God's mind is renewed to their oneness with the Trinity, the devil is just as powerless to stop them as he was to stop Jesus. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Once a child of God's mind is renewed to their oneness with the Trinity, the devil is just as powerless to stop that individual as he was to stop Jesus. Our oneness with God is at the heart of the fellowship of the mystery and the unfolding of God's manifold wisdom to be proven to the powers of darkness by the church which is His body. The complete fulfillment of this truth reality is among the most near and dear to our Father's heart. I'm going to end tonight how I ended this morning. The Bible says and teaches that you were created by God to glorify Him. You were created to glorify God. Most Christians have no problem with that. Matter of fact, I don't know of any who do. I'm sure there's some out there that do. But the Bible also says you were created to be glorified by God. You were created to glorify God. You were created by God to be glorified by Him. Do you see the difference there? The first one is like yes and amen. The second one is like mental block. The second one is calculus. The second one is that makes no sense. The second one is why are we even talking about this? Amen. Father, we love you. Lord, our prayer at the end of many services is that we would let our light so shine before men this week that they see our good works and they glorify you, Father, in heaven because we were created by you to glorify you in the earth. But Father, we also see that your plan didn't just stop with us glorifying you, but your plan was for us to be glorified by you. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to embrace these truths, to allow them to run through our lives without any blockages, without any, any resistance, Father. Lord, that these things would not be hard for us to embrace, but easy. Father, that we would allow your Holy Spirit
to do in us what you did according to our brother's testimony this morning. Something changed inside of him. I'm asking, Father, that something change inside of us tonight. That we dare to believe your audacious plan for us. And instead of resisting you concerning it, Father, that we would all humble ourselves and cooperate with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you Wednesday night, if not before. Have a blessed rest.